everybody, welcome to episode 198 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson, and today we have a very special guest I'm excited about. Yeah, we, um, we had actually watched this documentary, but um, we were waiting so that we could actually talk to the director. So if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Andy Ostroyd, director of Adrian. Uh, so we had seen this documentary on um, HBO Max, and uh, I, you know, it, it's interesting because I remembered, uh, I remembered hear, hearing about uh, Adrian. It's called Adrian, correct? Yes. And um, uh, I remembered this story, but I didn't know a lot of the details. So even though I kind of knew where the story was going, it was um, a surprise to myself just in as, as terms of the details and Paul is not a big documentary watcher, so I was uh, I was <laughs> wondering if he was gonna sit through it, and he was glued to it just as much as I was. And well, there was yeah. that just this. Um, it's so tough because it's like the story. If you haven't seen the film, stop, watch it, and then come back because we're gonna spoil things. Um, but you know, ultimately, what happens to Adrian is is terrible and it's like it the, the i'm i i want to try not to have that be what her legacy is you know what i mean i think people would watch something like this and go oh that's the story about you know and this and and, and this this terrible thing happened to this to this woman um but there was so much more to her that i didn't know you know so there there were the details of 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 her her unfortunate death um um but there were so many things about her life that I didn't know as a as a filmmaker and and how um, just like proactive she was. I mean, she was just really doing her thing, and that was that was just so amazing. I I just wish more people knew that that about her and what what she did as as a woman in the business. Yeah, well, that was really the the main purpose of the film was to, in a sense, bring her back to life for a hundred minutes and have audiences get to know her, get to like her, fall in love with her. Uh, grieve her loss, mourn her death, and hopefully be inspired to go back and and uh, revisit or visit for the first time her work as an actor, as a filmmaker. Um, and a huge part of that also was to humanize her. Uh, to your point, um, my concern had been after all those years that she was uh, maybe going to be most remembered as a murder victim. Mm -hmm. And so it was important for me to sort of show the world that she was not just an actor and a filmmaker, but a wife and a mother and a daughter and a sister and a friend and just a good person. And the goal was to have audiences see that person, to see the human, uh, not the crime victim. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being so blown away with how prolific her career was and how how much she had actually accomplished that you didn't really hear much about it because this is still back in the day when you know women in film was you know still kind of being yeah yeah and before we'll give, social media and stuff yeah. you had to really like work to get yeah and so your name out there i think something like this is such a great um tool for for that change and that kind of uh movement forward you know and um just to see how how much she actually accomplished and, and, and what she was able to do within um, a, a not so friendly industry, especially back then. And so I just remember, yeah, being completely 
blown away by what she was able to accomplish and 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 for lack of a better word the power that she held within the the community yeah i would i mean i was always it was always very important to me to uh just be honest to myself with what this whole story meant and the and one of the first things i started with was adrian was not terribly famous she was not an a-lister she probably wasn't even a b-lister and she had her fan base uh certainly the movie waitress helped mm-hmm. kick that up to another level but she wasn't a household name and you know people like that sometimes unfortunately become famous or infamous mm-hmm because of a tragedy that befalls them. So uh, it was important to sort of separate all that out, all, all of the, the story from uh, the life. Um, and when I started conceptualizing the film, the model that I kind of had in my head was Amy, the movie about Amy Winehouse, right? Uh, which I didn't know at the time had won an Oscar for best documentary, but it was obvious that it did because mm-hmm. it was just so good. Um, and I didn't know much about her. I, I knew may, maybe one song that everybody, you know, who doesn't know Amy Winehouse knows the one song right, she's right. kind of sure. famous for. And, uh, generationally she wasn't somebody that I considered a peer. And so, um, but when I watched that movie, she went from being this quote unquote, poor, young, very talented woman who, you know, you know, just basically killed herself with, mm-hmm. with, with drugs and alcohol and to becoming a human being who I kind of fell in love with and I felt for her. And I, I, I went through all of the emotions that you should go through when you watch a good documentary about someone. I, I laughed, I cried. I, I, I love this girl. I felt sad when she died. I was angry at the people around her who didn't protect her. And I just, I thought if I could do that on some level, then I'll have made a good film and and have shown the world a human being and not a, you know a, a tabloid story yeah right there was there was also just so much to to your film that i mean there there were so many things going on um from from the conception of of her of her films and career um to her i, I guess what i what i enjoyed most was that the focus on her untimely death was not the focus of the film. It was like, we have to get this in here, obviously, for somebody who's not familiar with it. Um, but then it, you know, also got into just um, just the investigation, how that, I mean, I found myself frustrated by, yeah. you know, not even really, I, I don't know this woman, but I'm thinking, this doesn't even sound right to me. I mean, how could it just be like, okay, this is a suicide and we're going to move on. And I'm so glad that, you know, you persisted the way that you did, because who knows, you know, what, what might, might have come of that or not come of that rather. Um, so there is, you know, there's that lesson in that, um, uh, the interviews with her family and your, and your daughter and just, you know, seeing, seeing everybody's connection to her for however long they may have had her in, in their life. Um, but uh, then the surprise for us was also that, you know, you were very much connected with her watching your um, meeting at the end of that film. That was really like, I mean, I, I was genuinely anxious with you uh, prior in the car thinking, 
I don't know if I could do this. You know, I don't know if I would be able to do this um, and and be able to. I mean, you you handled yourself brilliantly, um, but uh, just the, the the filmmaking itself was really it was really um, immersive for the audience because I really felt like I was sitting in that car with you going like, are we going to do this? Is this really happening? Like, I, I didn't even think that was going to happen, you know, um, and kind of having that that full circle. How do you approach this? I mean, documentaries are very different from narrative films in some ways and similar in, similar in others. And um, what is the process like uh, when you're going to make a, a feature length documentary like that? Well, I had very little... And uh, being, um, when I say very little, I really mean zero. <laughs> I had zero experience uh, making movies. Um, and so uh, I tried not to get bogged down with the process versus being confident that I had a very strong vision and then tapping into other parts of my life where, in a sense, I had directed things and directed people my whole mm -hmm. life. I mean, I had a business for 20 years and almost 100 employees. And, and so I just thought, okay, you know, the technical aspects of making a film, you know, I'm going to have producing partners. There'll be people, there'll be, you know, PAs and junior producers, et cetera, et cetera. And, <clears throat> and, and that's, you know, the, the bigger part was just executing on the vision. And so narratives and and uh feature, feature films and documentaries are, are very different in the sense that you're not operating from a script so you have to have a very strong vision for then you know to then um start mapping out and in a documentary the mapping out is you know the <clears throat> and i still can't wrap my head around using the word characters in a film that mm. in a documentary right. like i don't see myself as a character or adrian's mother is a character right but that's just a, a, a technical term. But the people who you're going to interview and why you're going to interview them and the places you're going to go and the the arc that each of them will have and the overall narrative that you're trying to get across. Um, for me, it was always about life, death, aftermath. That Those, that, those were the three guiding principles in my head <clears throat> that I was going to focus on in terms of her career, our life together um her childhood etc her death but only for the from the perspective of trying to find out what really happened that day because mm -hmm. the killer hadn't told the truth mm -hmm. prior to that um and <clears throat> and then what happens you know after a tragedy like that how does a family navigate the unthinkable and sort of breaking it down a little further it was bring her back to life uh, make audiences fall in love with her, have them grieve her the way we grieve her and have them, you know, discover her if they, if they haven't who, you know, so it was to answer the question, who is Adrian Shelley? What really happened that day? How does a family get through something like that? So once I had that vision in my head, which kind of just, you know, uh, it, it wasn't like I had to really think about that. It was just, it just, it was just there one day and, mm -hmm. and that became the impetus to, to make a movie. I had those questions in my head, some for myself and some that I was interpreting as audiences would want to know mm -hmm. well, who is Adrian Shelley? Why do we care? Yeah. And, 
And then the rest is kind of, you know, just scheduling shoots and going to interview people. And then, then one day you're, you're left with, you know, a hundred hours or whatever of oh God, yeah. footage. And then the editing process begins. And that, <clears throat> uh, that was a process I loved because it, it's really where everything comes together. It's where every film is made, you know, in the editing room. And you could edit a movie 18 million different ways. You know, this could have been a, tr a crime story. This could right. have been a love story. This mm -hmm. could have been a, a family struggle. This could have been a biography. It, but it, but I knew that it had to be all of those things. Yeah. And so the challenge in the editing room was to weave those threads together in a way, especially in the first um, 5, 10, 12 minutes, in a way that really set the table for the movie the audience was going to see. Um, which, which for me meant, let's get, let's really get rid of the suicide thing kind of early on, right. you know, that was five days out of Adrian's life and it only deserves a, a, a mere mention mm -hmm. in the context of the whole story, mm -hmm. you know, that the, you know, in life, death, aftermath, the, the death wasn't, wasn't ever going to be about the suicide because she didn't, she didn't right, kill herself. Right. But it was an important story. You know, if you're making a story about someone's life, you have to you have to cover their death if if, if they've died, and if they and if you cover their death, you can't be selective in which parts you're going to cover. But you can choose how much time you give them, how much mm -hmm. screen time you give them, uh, and 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 by virtue of that, how much relevance you give them in the overall uh, story. Um, so that kind of was my process. It was really all in here, and I think you know, for me. It kept me grounded, but also at the same time kept me confident. Like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, there's a million movies I've seen that are awful. <laughs> They're made by people with a lot right. of film experience, and so it, it never, it never. And maybe it's just a, you know, I'm not 25 anymore, and so <clears throat> one of the beauties of, you know, the, the the benefits of getting old, older, is that <clears throat> you tend to know who you are and what you can do. And so it never weighed on me that I didn't have film experience per se. I knew I had a great story. Mm -hmm. And like anything else I've done in my life, and like I think anything else anyone does, you know, you have you, you can't execute a vision by yourself. So I surrounded myself with great people and they helped get this movie made. Well, I have to say that I honestly would have never guessed that you had not been yeah. in the film business. I mean, it... It, I, I'm not just saying that, honestly, it just was so brilliantly directed and this uh, cinematography, the editing, everybody involved did such a good job. But um, yeah, I would have never guessed that this was kind of not your day job, basically. Yeah. I would have assumed, oh, he's, you know, he makes films or, you know, especially, you know, at least documentaries or, or something like that. And uh, so it was, it was just engrossing and, you know, we're just so involved and it, it was like one of those films that that when it was over we just kind of sat for a second and yeah. it was like okay <laughs> like you know some documentaries you're like well that's over and you move on um but we did just kind of sit for a second like what just you just needed a moment to just sort of take all that in and mm -hmm. uh you know there's like there's so many emotions going on in the film because there's there's these wonderful moments where you're looking back on her life and who she was and she had this tenacity about her and uh you know and then you kind of go through this emotion of like well shit you know because if she had still been here what would she have been doing you know and, and that's kind of what i left with i wondered what 
where in her career she would be. How many films would she have made? Would she have gone into different genres? Would she have made a sci-fi movie? Like, who knows, you know, would, would something have inspired her? And um, I think that that's part of, of the massive tragedy because she seemed to just really love what she did. And so it was, you know, taking, not only taking her life, but taking her away from something that, that seemed to mean so much to her and and something that she seemed to be so um, uh, passionate about. Um, but I, I just love that people do remember her and that she is she is kind of still working in that way. She is still existing in that community and 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 it's keeping her alive in that community. Yeah, you know, two interesting things that you you point out. Um, I always you know as a as a film viewer. I always loved when I would watch a film, especially a documentary in a theater in particular, or even on TV. And when it's over, you'd need that moment to just sort of sit there and like mm -hmm. process because you're so moved and part of that story. And it's like, you didn't want it to end. And then there's those movies where you, you know, you, you walk out of the theater and you, you're, you're talking about the film or if you're with friends and then you go for coffee or something and you're all talking about the movie. It's like, that's the movie I wanted to make. I wanted to have that kind of impact because, you know, truthfully, this story completely, utterly sucks. I mean, it's just yeah. a horribly tragic, sad story. And but there's a lot of silver linings in it in a way. And. But I, I I thought it could it could really um, uh, move people, and so that's that was part of the goal was to have what you said is to have people um, just need that moment that beat to sort of process what they went through. I mean, I pretty much had a list of questions that I asked almost everyone, but then there was other questions based on who they were. You know, I, I asked more tailored questions. But the, one of the one of the general questions I asked everyone was, where would Adrian be today? Just I, I was just curious to see what people would say. And it ran the gamut of, oh, my God, she would have had like a blank check from every major studio or she would have been doing incredible TV with the way TV is today. She'd have her own amazing series on Netflix or something. Um, one prominent individual uh, in the film business said, Film business sucks today. She probably would have been hitting that wall just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. That's and I was like, okay, this is exactly what I expected. Mm -hmm. Just a myriad, myriad answers. Mm -hmm. No one really has a crystal ball, so nobody knew. What made it in the film, though, was Bob Burke, who who acted with, starred with her in I'll Take uh, uh, the Unbelievable Truth, one of Hal Hartley's films, because he really just asked the only logical question which is or he made a statement at the end of the movie which i thought was just very poignant he was like you know with adrian it's always going to be the what if mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so i wasn't looking for anyone's prediction but he helped sort of shine a light on what really was the tragedy of all this mm -hmm. and the tragedy is what if what if she were still alive yeah because uh, we don't know what she would have done right. who knows what she would have done yeah but that's that's the that's the real tragedy is that we don't we don't know what she would have done. And so that was the quote that, you know, and, and, you know, back to process, you know, you ask people questions, you ask everybody the same questions and you ask them different questions based on who they are. And then you're left with all this footage. And 
What really helped me is that my, my background, my, my degree in college was journalism. And even though I'd never made a career writing, I'd been writing my whole life. I did a, a lot with Huffington Post uh, years ago. Uh, and um, uh, at one point, I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times. Uh, and so e editing has always been something that is does, does come naturally to me, being very judicious mm -hmm. and efficient with the written word. And so I was able to sort of, you know, film editing is very different. And so I want to make that very clear that there was a lot I didn't know about film editing. But there was a lot about editing that I was able to import into the film editing process, just sort of having a sense of what's critical, what belongs, what doesn't, how to take 20 different bites and find the really good one, you know. And so uh, that was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed editing, because it was the process of taking all of all of these incredible interviews uh, everything was important everything was interesting but it was not everything is going to keep the story moving forward the way it needs to move and not everything is going to tell the story uh the right way and so when i looked at everybody's you know at first it was like all right maybe i'll just do a montage she'll be this she'll be that mm -hmm. she'll be that she'll be this she'll be that she'll be that she'll be that oh but with adrian it'll always be the what if and then it just became clear, like it doesn't, you know, everyone's predictions don't have any meaning at all. It was just interesting to hear them. A couple of them were surprising. But what really spoke to me and I thought would speak to the viewer is, Jesus, man, we'll never know. We'll never know. And that's the sad part. Yeah. yeah. But to that point a little bit more, how, how difficult is it to kind of separate your personal emotional journey with mm. her to to you know i'm sure there's things you have to sacrifice for the grander story right there's I'm sure there's moments and 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 things that came up in the process that really kind of for you maybe exemplified her but then you take a step back and look at the grander story and it's like well this does you know what i mean so how did you balance that that kind of because it's got to be a it's got to be i would have made like a four-hour movie because i yeah. wouldn't have wanted to cut anything yeah so how how, how right. would did you did you rely on other people to kind of come in and say this has got to go sure. and you're like no you know have that the one thing i learned the most in making this film which did take me a bit of time but i i don't think it was all that different than what every filmmaker goes through because you start with an assembly which could be hours mm -hmm. and hours long and then you just keep cutting and cutting and cutting until you get a like a, a you know a, a, you know at some point it's a rough cut which is you know maybe a two hour version of you know or two and a half hour version three hours even but in general the process kind of starts with oh I love this I love that I'm married to this I'm married to that and everything seems like it can't be tossed yeah. But then you're saying to yourself, okay, but I'm, I am watching a four-hour movie, and so at least half of this has to be tossed. Mm -hmm. And then you say, okay, what, 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 what do I start tossing? And then you start with some low-hanging fruit. But the thing with me with with editing and editing for writing is that you know when you study journalism, one of the first things you're taught is you should be a if an editor cuts your story after the first paragraph. The viewer, the reader still knows exactly what's going on because every paragraph after that is structured in a way that just starts to embellish on what the first paragraph said. Mm. So I, I learned how to be tight. I didn't 
automatically transfer that over to film because for me that was a new genre and it, it took me a while and working with people as you say who who do have a lot of experience with this I mean my editors I had two editors that are both fantastic and my producing partners and HBO um, but once it kind of kicked in it, be, it it became easier for me to cut things that I was married to because I started to see the path it's just like if you you know if you have 24 hours and you got to get to Miami from New York, right? You might want to stop off somewhere in Pennsylvania because there's an, am an amazing barbecue place mm, or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you can find a million things to do right. that are not only interesting and fun and like once in a lifetime, but you're not getting to Miami in 24 hours, right? right? right. So that's how my brain got wired. It's like, I've got to get to Miami in 24 hours. So that's going to take me out of my way. That's going to take me out of my way. And and even and it almost became fun for me at the end because it was like shit. I'm, I just cut out an eight minute chunk mm. of something that doesn't belong, even though I thought it was amazing and it was. Right. It just doesn't belong in the film. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, this eight minutes and that eight minutes and this two minutes and that four minutes, and then you find yourself under two hours and getting close to where you need to be, and then it gets even. It got even easier for me because the tighter the movie got the easier it was to see what didn't belong. Mm. And that may not work for everybody the same way. Sure. I think some people I've talked to are like, wow, once you cutting those final 10, 15 minutes was like torture. <laughs> for me, cutting those final 10, 15 minutes almost was fun because like it's it was so obvious to me what didn't belong. Right. Um and yeah, it is a it totally is a collaborative process. You know, you can't make a film, you can't be a director and make a great film unless you have a great editing and great sound and great DPs mm -hmm. and great this and great that. I mean, casting every, you know, if you're making a, you know, a, a narrative film, like it, it's, it's a collaborative process. And, um, I put into it what I was able to put into it as, you know, the quote unquote leader of the film. And that was the vision. And it didn't matter, you know, if I was starting a company like I did, mm -hmm. I had a vision for a company, but I, I didn't do everything in that company. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't run that company on my own, you know, and, and I'm making a movie is really just a short term business. You know, a movie has a P&L and has a you know, balance sheet, it has all the same metrics and goals that a, that a business has. It just stop, starts and stops in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it is totally collaborative. So did you, oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say that, <laughs> that you saying that, um, it was such an Adrian Shelley kind of moment, I think, because there's so much ego in film where people are like, I directed this film and who cares about everybody else? Uh, but as filmmakers ourselves that have to wear so many hats, we appreciate every single person on set. And we realize that your DP is just as important as your sound person, as your actors, as everybody, everybody's important. Um, and I, I just, I just thought like, that's so something I feel like she would have been because she was so hands-on mm -hmm. and indie uh, that, uh, that you do appreciate that uh, because you, you get it. So that was like, yeah, I mean, I, that's a really good point. And she did in a way, not in like any kind of, you know, religious sense, but just, she was in my head when I made this film and I kind of relied on her in a way to guide me through the moments where I might've had a little bit of doubt or weakness or something. And 
the two things about Adrian as a filmmaker that stuck with me was the thing you just mentioned, which is everyone loved Adrian when they worked with her. Um, uh, she was able to get things out of people that, you know, it was just fascinating when I watched her shoot waitress, you know, the time I was out there, it was just incredible. And, um, I am not going to say that I'm Adrian because everybody doesn't, you know, it's not, I'm not Raymond. Everybody doesn't. (laughs) She had this magical quality that we all kind of aspire to, you know, it's like, um, you know, we should all want to be that person that everyone loves, you know, and that's rare. Um, and so, but I, I, but I did value the, the input I got, but the, the, the more interesting thing for me and more important thing for me was how I always heard her and watched her insist that she has to execute her vision. She has to succeed or fail on her vision. She's not making anybody else's movie. She's making her movie. And so the process, you know, when it's collaborative, it's also at times like a push and pull. It's like, hey, you should do this. I don't want to do that. Hey, you should do this. Oh, that sounds great. Or, hey, you should do this. All right, let me think about it. Okay, I thought about it. I don't want to do it. All right, I thought about it. Yeah, that's a great idea. But but when you don't want to do something, you have to, you have to stand your ground. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're working with the right people, ultimately, they'll appreciate that. Oh, yeah. But you have to also bring them along. Mm, yeah. You can't just say, like, I don't like that idea. I'm, just, I'm doing it my way. Right. You have to sort of, you know, help them and say, here, here, here's why it makes sense to do it this way. And there were times when I got, you know, notes and feedback and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, that 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 could work that way. And there were other times I said, no, this has to stay. And here here's why. And the other party would be like. Oh, that makes total sense. And so working with the right people is really important because, you know, it is your vision at the end of the day. You mm-hmm. can't have a movie fail and then be, well, I, I let everybody else make the decisions. You know, it's not about like going along to get along. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your, you know, uh, it, it, especially with this kind of film, which is so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. But I think the people I was aligned with, they understood that going in. And they kind of felt that you you really are the only one that could tell this story and that we do have to sort of, you know, be there with you on this journey in, in, in executing that vision. And um, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the people I worked with. I learned a lot about filmmaking. And, you know, I mean, that's really what life is about. It's like, you know, I hope to the day I die, I never stop learning, mm, you know, yeah. and doing different things and experiencing different things with different people who could teach me things. And, you know, I'd love to make another documentary now because I, I feel like I've learned so much about the process. I was going to ask you that. I was going to so say, would you do that, this again? Yeah, well, it's it, it's incredible. I mean, movie making, I've always felt was incredible. I remember, you know, when I produced Serious Moonlight, which is a script that Adrian wrote and was shopping at the time of her death. And uh, I teamed up with Michael Roy, who produced Waitress, and we produced it together. And I just remember at the end, just saying to him, like, you know, you start with a script, just words on a page, and then one day you see it. I I mean, it's just, it's an incredible process because it happens in such a short amount of time. And it's just a fascinating process. And, And so telling stories, you know, I mean, that gets me back to my journalism background. Like there is there is that that part that's, you know, in the middle, that overlap of my life and my old life and this life that 
does speak to who I am as a person. And so telling stories um, is something I, 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 you know, I'm thinking about, you know, do I want to continue doing that? And how would that experience be when it's not like my insides being left on the table every night, you know, yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, what would it be like to make a movie where I don't cry 25 times a day, right. yeah, right. you know, yeah. or, you know, it's, it's, it would probably be a whole different experience and, you know, would, how much better at it would I be if it's a focus on someone else's story or some other situation and, and not necessarily my own. So, you know, I'm very proud of the film we made and, and, uh, uh, the reception to it was great, and I think um, it would be it would be great to do that again. Yeah, I, to your For point sure. about like getting notes and stuff, um, I'm curious about how you know because you have this film, which is like the the definition of a passion project, right? There's just so much emotion and passion that are involved in this, and then it comes to once it once it hits HBO and they're like, we would like we want this, it almost becomes a product at that point. And so was there feedback that you had to kind of navigate through from HBO or whoever that weren't what that may have not been involved in the process and are strictly looking at this as a way to get viewers to watch it in terms of maybe how the trailer was cut or or something like that um did you have to navigate any of that or was that pretty kind of more straightforward it was pretty straightforward and and again you know the 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 team I worked with uh, my producing partners at Blowback, Mark Levin, and Daphne, and Jillian, and, and uh, the folks at HBO. Um, it was a very, you know, positive process in the sense of um, uh, just, I don't want to say deferring, but just the, the input that I got was valuable. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Uh, notes it doesn't matter who you are or what kind of film you're making whether it's a doc or narrative like notes are just that they're notes they're not mandates right so um and no one really wants to tell a director what to do no more than a director wants to give an actor line reads you know it's like you kind of have to sort of swim in the same pool and hopefully everybody's you know in their lane and not smacking into each other Mm -hmm. and and everything works out and so um for me the process of getting notes uh i found at times incredibly helpful at times it was like interesting but no thanks you know and i think again if you're working with the right people they they know that they when they give you notes they're not expecting you know everything to be executed you know, um, and so, uh, you know, the, it, it's the end result that matters. And I, and I, again, I, I knew that I had to, this film had to live or die on my watch. Like it, it I couldn't let it be, you know, when you make a film, it's not a, a democratic process. It just isn't. It doesn't matter whether you're Martin Scorsese or a first-time de- director, because if you're a first-time director <clears throat> and you let everybody else make the movie, then you may not be a second-time director. Right. You know? right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. At some point, you have to. But 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 again, respecting your the the people you work with, it's always better if if you can explain something and they go, oh oh oh, I didn't I didn't get that, but now I do. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, 
it was, you know, for me, because it was such a personal uh, story that I was making, personal film, it probably took a little bit longer for me to get to that point of being able to let go of certain things. Mm. So it like started in a fairly compartmentalized place. But by the end, it got to a totally compartmentalized place. Mm. And if I was making a movie about someone else's life, there might have been perhaps, you know, at times a little bit more objectivity or an ability to get to that objective place a little sooner. sooner yeah. But I don't think it detracted from the film. I mean, the, the, the you know, the, the, the film is now out for several months and it has been very well received. The New York Times, I like, always say this, people... Um, my good friends always joke with me that like uh, on Andy's tombstone, it's going to say, uh, the New York times called it a gem, <laughs> uh, which they did. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, and, in, and like most people who are in a creative field, uh, or any field, I guess, you know, you, you have your moments of self doubt and insecurity and truthfully, you know, it's like, for me, it was like, you know, no matter how much I heard that it was good or great or this and that, it was until I saw that New York Times thing. I was like, okay, now yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. So, um, and that was, you know, and, and I also, uh, I'm very happy to be able to say I was able to execute a hundred percent on my vision. I don't have any, good, yeah. I mean, I, I've heard I've, I've watched directors and people sit down and go, yeah, you know, and I had friends who were, and they're like, yeah, well, it's, it didn't, you know, towards the end, it just wasn't, you know, the film didn't get finished the way I wanted it to be. And mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And like, I can't imagine like, God, I can't imagine making this movie and walking away feeling I didn't, it really isn't the movie I wanted to make mm -hmm. yeah. close yeah. enough, but not, it is a hundred percent. And that's a testament to the people I worked with. Yeah. And their ability not only to trust my instincts, but to also give great notes, but also know when to pull back and say, okay, he's making some sense here. Right. You know? And so for me, it was a great process. And I made the film I wanted to make. And I am, you know, totally happy with, with um, the fact that it now exists and it exists in the form it exists hmm. in. Yeah. That communication, um, is so important in any type of filmmaking where you have um uh you want to be open and and uh, uh inviting uh even inviting of of feedback or 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 thoughts or or whatever but at the same time you know you're the one steering the ship or whoever it is you know if it's you or a couple people you have this singular mission that has to be accomplished and some of these things like you said will work and some of them won't and i think when you surround yourself with good people, they, they understand that, you know, as long as you, you're, you know, a good person and, you know, are, are accepting of, of feedback and stuff that that's all part of the process. And sometimes notes may not serve the bit, the bigger story. And sometimes they may help amplify that. So I think that's, that's so important. And then you also hit on mm -hmm. something else too, that I, I find very important is that um, you had mentioned about the New York times piece and it's kind of like that outside kind of recognition because it's so hard to sometimes it's really hard to get an objective view from somebody that worked on the film, somebody that you're friends with, somebody you're related to, any of that stuff. 
they're going to love what you do regardless because they love you as a person. And mm-hmm. so sometimes getting an, a non, a, an objective point of view can be helpful. Sometimes not. And you have to be able to, to, be, to know when to navigate that and realize when someone's just saying, oh, I hate that thing. It's stupid. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't mean no good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But if you felt it dragged here or, or something, then that is super helpful. And if I get that note a few times, maybe it's something I need to revisit or, or whatever. And you know, I feel like that's that's priceless for especially early on in your career, uh, whoever, you know, whoever it is for for us. I know it was extremely valuable. Yeah. No, you I mean, again, you know, I, I used to run a marketing company and I sometimes we'd make big decisions. I'd have, you know, 15 people in a room and there were times when literally everyone would disagree with me. <laughs> and that was my re- affirmation. Right. I was like, yeah. OK, now I know I'm right because you're all. Because I knew my strengths and weaknesses, and I knew theirs. And then there were other times where I sat there, and people were like, "This is this is a boneheaded path." And I would be like, "You know what? You're right. You're yeah. right." Yeah. <laughs> so, but when you're lead, leading something, you have you have to know at the end of the day, you're the one in charge. And you know whether it's an army or a film or a business, or whatever. Like people's you know people's lives, people's jobs, people's whatever. They're they're dependent on you, and you need to have a strong vision. They're looking. You know, it's like being a parent, you know, like they're looking to you to lead the way that gets us back to Adrian. That's what everyone always said about Adrian. You know, when I interviewed all the actors, most of whom were good friends of mine, they weren't really understanding what the hell she was doing when she was directing them because it was some of the stuff wasn't in their wheelhouse. Mm hmm whether it was like, you know, Nathan to be the, the really charming debonair, you know, Cary Grant like character or you know carry to be really funny or you know just certain things that were out of their comfort zone and um but but they all said she was so confident in what she wanted and it was so easy to trust her mm-hmm. and then when they saw themselves on screen it was like she knew it she knew exactly what she wanted so she was a great she was just the epitome of direction yeah. And and she worked with a great cast who trusted her. And maybe they trusted her more because she was an actor. Mm. So she yeah. knew how to work with actors, uh, yeah. as, as Paul, Rudd, Paul Rudd says in my film. And so, um, but you got to have that, you know, uh, you got to have a, vi- a strong vision. And if you do, and you can explain it at times, people will trust you. You know, we we've had people say a, a bunch of times, oh, we'll see you on the red carpet one day. And I always go, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, I mean, realistically, we're probably not going to be on the red carpet. And, you know, attitude. exactly. But uh, just, you <laughs> know, like <laughs> as an actor, I don't you know, I just love acting, you know, and that's kind of a bonus. It's like, well, if I happen to make it into some huge A-list film, that's great. That's always great. Um, but it's not it's not the end all be all for me. It's not why I do it. And it's I wouldn't, journey, yeah. I wouldn't consider myself a failed actor if I don't make it into Hollywood mm-hmm. and, and I'm not on the big screen or, you know, it's just, it's still the, the, just being prolific in your work for me, it's being able to see the evolution of your, of your acting to be able to cringe terribly when you watch the first things that you did and then going, all right, I hate this a lot less. I must be getting better. Yay. And I think that as, although it's very, very well possible that that uh, that Adrian would have been directing a Netflix special, I think that she would have been just as satisfied 
with just continuing with her work and being able to be a creator. And I think that's what makes her so uh, such a just such a pioneer still in the indie world because that's what it used to be about when we were watching it. I said, I miss this time in filmmaking, like in the 90s when people just made things and you didn't make it. Um, you know, it was always like, well, let's hope this does well. But it was more about that journey of making something. And now everything's about like, mm -hmm. well, is this going to make it on Netflix? And if it doesn't, then it's a mm -hmm. failure somehow. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's what what made her so special was that she just kind of she just wanted to do her thing. And if it took her to Netflix, it took her to Hollywood. And if it took her to, you know, uh, to the Oscars, great. But if it didn't, she was still a filmmaker. And I think so many people need to that that are that are in film. I I when we talk to people that are, are, are new in the business and when I talk to actors that are aspiring actors and I always tell them, you know, uh, I, my advice isn't going to get you to the red carpet. Otherwise, I'd be there. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not there. So I don't know how to get you there. But if you're doing this solely for the point of succeeding on uh, on on a, uh, um, a monetary level, then you might be very disappointed with where this takes you because the, the percentage is mm -hmm. low. Um, but if you want to be a filmmaker and you're satisfied and you can find, um, you can find that passion in finishing a project and saying, this was better than the last or that I've learned something on this set, mm -hmm. that's, that's, also being a filmmaker you're not any less of a filmmaker because because viola davis isn't in your in your film yeah. as amazing as that would be mm -hmm. because she's amazing but there's still there's a, a a massive amount of of uh actors that are non-union that are great you know there's mm -hmm. and and being able to find that talent i think that from what we see in the film, because obviously we didn't know her, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, you feel like you know somebody when you watch things. I feel like Adrian was the kind of person that would say, "Well, the hell with what recognition I'm going to get with this actor. This is the actor I want." Or and this they have the story I want. Yeah, to this tell, is the story or, I want, yeah. and they happen to be non-union, and this is what I want, and that means more to me than what the studio is going to want. And I think that we, I, I just wish we went, we could go back into that because I think so, so much of filmmaking has gone into uh, the, the name dropping and, yeah. and the monetary aspect. Look, we all would love to make money off of being able to sure. make films. That would, that's ideal. Uh, but it, it's, it, for people, it seems to be all or nothing, you know, where we have our day jobs yeah. and we also make films when we can. That's because we like to do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, the unfortunate part of, of, of show business uh, is that uh, over the last decade or two, it's become almost solely about money. Mm -hmm. And you see that um, in the consolidation of companies that are owned by these big conglomerates, all the content is owned by, you know, two or three companies now. And so it's all about mm -hmm. shareholders and the next quarterly profit, you know, statement and, um, and so, you know, everything then becomes cast contingent, you know, someone mm -hmm. will put up money for a film, but it's, I want a star, you know, yeah. uh, the days of like finding a financier who's going to put up, um, you know, a million and a half dollars for an indie film with no name talent, so to speak, 
is, I mean, it was always hard, but it's just almost impossible today. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, and for studios to make films that aren't like, you know, comic book action superhero movies, like, yeah. you know, it's harder and harder and harder for those films to get made and compete for screen time. And so, um, you know, Waitress, when it first came out on in Memorial Day weekend, 2007, it was the tied for fourth in the country. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, it was yeah. the first three films were all like Shrek three and this three and that three. And it got mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. because of that, it got boxed out of screen time. It, it, I, I mm-hmm. thought it was going to have this like hundred million dollar trajectory and it probably would have if if the timing had been different. But but in the next mm-hmm. two and three, four weeks, every multiplex would have like four screens dedicated to Shrek three and four screens dedicated. Yeah. It just couldn't get screen screen time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, 15 years ago. So cut to today. Yeah. It's so yeah. much Only harder worse. to have yeah. to have, you know. Now, the flip side is with television, there's so much content and so many streamers and so many shows being made that, you know, uh, there seems to be a lot of a lot more work for every anyone in the in the uh, business of, of making a TV show. I mean, I remember yeah. when Law and Order stopped making uh, stopped production and everybody was so upset because, like, you know, how many New York actors, how many New York people got to work on right. that show? Yeah. But that was like kind of before this tidal wave of all this incredible television content. And so there's been this resurgence where like where the film business is contracted, you know, the, the television business has exploded. And so, um, you know, I, I think there's always going to be some silver lining in, in everything. But but you're right. I mean, you know, a, 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 people used to tell Adrian to make a commercial movie, you know, write something commercial. And she would say to me, I, I don't know what to tell these people other than I don't, I don't, you know, I write what I write. <laughs> I sit down, I write an idea that's yeah. in my head. I don't write like, okay, if I can, let me bring in an Apache helicopter that comes up the side of a building <laughs> and like looks in the window. Yeah. Like, so like, the waitress walks out and there's she... explosions everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, <laughs> let's blow up the diner. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the irony is she wrote a commercial film. You know, it did by the time yeah. that first week. I mean, it, it it did 22 million, I think, at the box office and uh, could have done more had it gotten more screens. But it also mm. went on to become a smash Broadway musical 10 years later. Right, and so yeah. she wrote she wrote a story that was incredibly commercial. And a moneymaker. Yeah, that's not how she that's not what she said, sat down to write. She just sat down to write right, another right. Adrian Shelley movie so to your point it's harder to do that these days and yeah. i feel for yeah. for it's... writers like adrian who i mean how do you sit down today to write an independent script like what kind of attitude do you have in your head of oh this will see the light of day someday like i mean it's got to be yeah. really defeating yeah. and but people yeah. do it, it and is. i give them so much credit <laughs> be, be, yeah because the, the 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 strength that you need today versus 15 years ago to to do that and to try yeah. to make it happen is just a hundred times more you yeah. have to write but, within limits it's yeah. just like before i even write a script i always go how feasible is this yeah. i'm not even going to write this to be in x y and z location because there's no way we're going to get that location we're not going to have the money for that location so 
you have to kind of write within that limit. But it's it's ironic and amazing that she did wind up writing something that that did so well and was commercial in its own way. Uh, and the path to that was in in how unique and creative it was. Studios, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just well, let people be. <laughs> but, I, but I do feel like there is there. It'll probably never happen, but there is power to be had to make that change from the director side, right? You have your Chris Nolans and your Quentin Tarantinos and 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 you know Scorsese and all these people that can really push for that. But you know they just kind of and look, they're all great directors, obviously, and they they have great films under their belts, but those are the only types of in my opinion the only types of people that can actually affect change because how you know the studios aren't going to do it because they're they want to make money and that's they need to make money off one film to pay for another film and so i kind of get that from their perspective that they are they are a business but i feel like it's almost like well if you keep giving people marvel movies as much as i love them then that's all that they're going to uh feel it works Whereas if you start flooding the market with indie films, people will start going to see those and then those will be seen as um, lucrative. Or, yeah, yeah. So I feel like it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know. Everybody always talks about, you know, musicals and Westerns and like we hardly get musicals and Westerns. But every time there's a musical in a Western, it's always very successful. So you think like every time there's like a La La Land or something like that, like all of a sudden there'd be 10 more La La Lands in the next two years. But there aren't because when it comes back to it, the people who control the checkbooks, it'd be like, yeah, that was a fluke. People don't really like musicals. Or Power of the Dog. Yeah, that was a Brokeback Mountain. Not even a cowboy movie, a gay cowboy movie, right? Like a gay cowboy movie was successful, right? What does that tell you? Yeah. People can love yeah. gay count, gay westerns, but yet yeah. when push yeah. comes to shove, it's like let's go back yeah. to the superheroes because that's that's you know it's a it's we live in a risk uh, reward kind of culture, and so mm -hmm. the, yeah. the risk of a superhero movie is minuscule compared to the risk of another western or another another musical, yeah. and uh, that's the unfortunate part, you know that um, people just don't seem to have the balls to take risks like they used to. Yeah. Because that's where, yeah. you know, some of the stuff that didn't make it into my film that I wanted to make it in was, you know, the genesis of Waitress, how it got made. Because part of what we're talking about now, there's also a lot of luck involved. There's also a lot of, like, perseverance and pushiness and yeah. how you fight for yourself. You know, Adrian, uh, mm -hmm. Adrian tried for a couple of years to get Waitress made. She was working with a producer. And uh, that person was involved in a lot of other things and it just wasn't priority and she was growing very mm -hmm. frustrated and you know i i had come from a business background and i just you know interpreting her situation i just said you know just give this person a deadline you know they've had two years give them 30 more days yeah 30 days mm -hmm. and if you don't find the money for this film in 30 days i'm going somewhere else mm -hmm. and she was like okay i could do that like in her non-confrontational mind that that was fair and it was it wasn't like mm -hmm. you have 30 mm -hmm. days no it's like you have two years and 30 days okay right right and uh we were out in la at the time and uh sophie was a little baby maybe a year old and or not even maybe six seven months old and she gets a call on her phone and uh it was from this producer uh that he he found the money the interesting thing was this was day 29 
of the 30-day <laughs> deadline. And so Man. right away, my radar went up. And I was like, all right, this sounds like a scam. And so he wanted mm. to meet the next day with the person who was going to bring the money to make the film. And I said, I, I, I want to go with you because I, I need to just sit and watch and gauge yeah. whether or not yeah. this is a real, a yeah. real deal. And it was. I mean, we walked out of the, it was at the Viceroy Hotel and we walked out and I said to her, congratulations, you're going to get your movie made. And the point of this is not only do you need luck and perseverance and pushiness, but you also need a champion. You know, Michael Royf, who who was the producer and came up with the money to make Waitress, he was just a 26-year-old kid out of college, but he loved, and he's in my film, he loved this story. And it's just like mm-hmm. selling a house. You only need is one person to fall in love with your house. You know, you don't need 25 yeah. people to buy your house. You just mm-hmm. need one. And it's like mm-hmm. that when you're making an independent film. You just need you need one champion. So it's all these things. Even if you have a great vision and a great... I mean, I, I often think about like if Michael hadn't come along or if Adrian hadn't given the deadline, you know, mm-hmm. like this great mm-hmm. story, which became this huge musical on Broadway, like record setting, like yeah. over... It, 15 years, it's still this incredible story. It may not never have been made, not because of Adrian's lack of talent, but all these other things. So it's just yeah. all of these, it's like a witch's brew. It all has to go into the pot, the, the vision, the creativity, the luck, the champion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you think about it that way, it's like, wow, that's pretty daunting to get all those things happen. And 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 yeah. sadly, today it's it's even harder to 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 have that witch's brew come together like that. Yeah, yeah. and as um that uh, actor Zach Braff always talks about when he made his first feature, Garden State, it was pretty much solely uh, financed by some super Scrubs fan who had a lot of money and wanted to see him succeed. So it's like, it's 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 that one person, you know. We gotta find that one. Yeah, person. well look and, and, and to the you know the <laughs> but it's also again your your own, you know, I, I was talking with the the filmmaker and actor Ed Burns once and he shared a story and I'm probably messing up a couple of details, but the long long and short of it is that he was I think uh uh he was like a, a PA at E News or something or E Entertainment Weekly or something. And he had made the brothers McMullen and it, it he kept submitting it to festivals and it wasn't getting in or whatever. And I think, um, I think it was Harvey Weinstein who was being interviewed in the studio that day. And he decided he's going to give a, uh, a tape to Harvey Weinstein and like literally chased him mm. down the elevator bank when it was all over. It was like, excuse me, Mr. Weinstein. Um, could, would you please watch this film? Just please watch this film. It's, you're going to love it. I guarantee you. And the rest is history, you know? And like, if he didn't run out, and chase, you know, and give somebody a tape. Yeah. The bro- the Brothers McMullen, which is a fantastic movie and launched his career. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what would have happened? So there's a little bit of that too, where you just have to like, you know, have some balls and do things someday, you know. But yeah. And then a lot of people don't don't can't do that and won't do that, you know, or it's not how yeah. that's not how business is done. Well, no, sometimes yeah. it is, you know. Yeah. So I think it's just it's a, it's like Adrian says in my doc, you know, it's a tough business for women, for men. It's just a tough business period, you know? Um, yeah. so as much of those Maybe things, much of women. those elements <laughs> you can have, the, the better, it, the better it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, she certainly did. Uh, you know, she, she did an amazing job and, and I, and I think that, 
in 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 her death she is still very much a pioneer uh and and i think that her story is is one for for upcoming filmmakers and even current filmmakers to really kind of look back onto and you know this this woman made what she wanted to make and uh it, it can, that can work for you um but she also seemed like a really humble person a good person to work for and and i think that's also incredibly important and uh and i'm glad that you made this film i hope that more people uh that maybe were not familiar with adrian get to know who she was and uh and and i hope to see more from you as well actually <laughs> i think yeah. that yeah. uh you did a great job and i i would we'll love say. to uh <laughs> i'd love to have you back on when you make something else <laughs> I have a few ideas. We'll see. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. uh, all that other stuff I just mentioned applies to me too. It's going to be like, all right, you know, you made one film, but that doesn't mean anything else is going to happen. And what do you got? Right. And who's your champion? And where's the luck? And where's yeah. this? And where's that? So, who knows? We'll see. We're start, you're starting from a good point. So yeah, you're starting <laughs> off pretty good. So yeah. uh, let let's just hope that keeps going. Thank you so much for being on, Andy. Well, thank you for having me. Well, that was Andy Ostroy. Um, I was very excited to have him on because the documentary. Uh, kind of really hit us hard, and it was an amazing piece of filmmaking, in my opinion. And so, <clears throat> I'm really glad that we had him on, and uh, I look forward to seeing what he does next. Yeah, forgive um, my voice because we are recording. We had the interview, and then we're recording this uh, a little after, day after, and apparently, uh, I've come down with the plague, so yeah. I sound like this, which. Which is why I didn't sound like this during the interview. Yeah. It's the magic of editing. Um, yeah. We normally don't do this, but we forgot that we didn't yeah. record an outro. I'm and I was like, editing it right now. Great, really. now I sound like this. Um, um, fantastic. So shout outs to MoGraph, uh, MoGraph Network, MoGraph TV. Check out MoGraph.com. Yeah, and, and uh, check out Andy's stuff on HBO Max. Um, I'll have the link. Yeah, we'll have all the links. I mean, it's a really if you're if you're even if you're not a filmmaker, I mean, it's a great documentary. But as as indie filmmakers, I think it's a really important documentary to watch. Um, so we appreciate him being on. I don't know what's going on. Um, in, for future episodes, we're two away from two hundred. We have zero plans. Mm -hmm. Things have just been incredibly hectic. So we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants here. Do you want to know what my dream for episode two hundred is? What's that? To get Jessica Lee back on. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I love that woman, but I think that our cup, you know, runneth over uh, with luck. Um, hey, the worst she can say is no, right? Or nothing. Probably nothing, because she's, I think she's quite busy, but yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we, we're we watching some stuff. We'll review things as per usual. Um, not sure what's going on with filming right now. Uh, again, everything's just been really crazy, so, you know. Stay uh, in touch with us, and then, then fun things will happen, and hopefully I won't have a plague next time. Yes. Hey, okay. bye. bye.